0: Christians are accountable to each other for how they live. But for reasons unbeknownst to me, Christians love to judge the behavior of non-Christians. Historically, the church has been way better at policing the behavior of outsiders than it has been of policing its own. That's unfortunate and unnecessary. Few things discredit the church more in the minds of unbelievers than when it holds them accountable to a standard they never acknowledged to begin with. Nothing says hypocrite faster than Christians expecting non-Christians to behave like Christians when half the Christians don't like, act like it half the time. First century Christians certainly didn't judge non-Christians for behaving like non-Christians. They expected Christians to behave like Christians. We've been going through a series uh, called Growing Deep and Wide, using Andy Stanley's book Deep and Wide. Uh, We've got one more week next week. We're going to conclude it. Uh, There's still some books at the back, Uh, amazing book. Make sure you get that, really kind of blows your mind on what you ever thought church should be like or could be like, uh, as well as does a great job at at what we're trying to do here at Mountain View Church, and uh, we believe that Jesus is the son of God, he died for the sins of the world, he rose again, and in that resurrection there's powerful eternal salvation. And we want that message to get out to everyone, both de-churched people, so people were a part of church, but because of hypocrisy and hurt, they've left the church. And, And we want them back. But also people outside the church, we believe our message is amazing and they need to hear it too, and so we want them in. We're trying our best to reach unchurched people with the message of Jesus. And, um, you know, what what we've talked about in the past few weeks, we asked a few questions. What do unchurched people see when they walk into a local church? What do unchurched people hear when they walk into a, a local church? Today, we're asking, what do unchurched people experience in a local church in Western Canada? Now... Realistically, many in local churches they feel what Andy was just talking about and what he talks about in deep and wide, and that's they, they feel judgment they feel judgment, excuse me. And uh, a lot of that comes down to what the passage that we looked at last week, the pastors that Andy just quote and and kind of asking the question: you know, who are we to judge people outside the church? We're actually supposed to judge people inside the church. People who say, I am a follower of Jesus then if their behavior doesn't follow Jesus, we need to ask the questions about them. But people outside the church from another faith background or have, have no belief in, in the Bible or in Jesus or any of that, there's no business for us to expect them to adhere to biblical values and principles. And yet, too often we do it. Now, we can, we can act or, or speak like we care, And this gets through what they see and what they hear, and we can say all the right things. But what they experience, this really comes down to our heart condition. Because whether or not we look at the outside world and we pass judgment, we may not speak like we do or act like we do, but our heart condition will show. People are smart, they're emotionally intelligent, and they will pick up on the fact whether we're acting like it or not everyone knows what a used car salesman or the proverbial used car salesman forgive me if any of you sell used cars that's not what i want to get at but you know that feeling of being sold something that they really don't believe in and and people get that they're emotionally intelligent and so if we're if we're trying to say hey no we we want you to be a part of our family we want you to know jesus as much as we know we want to be your friend we want to be our family member if we don't really mean it, they'll experience the opposite. They're going to know it because they feel it. And so Andy asks a couple great questions, and the Apostle Paul gives us some great answers. First question Andy asks is, are we genuine? People can feel whether or not a person's genuine. And other words that we need to attach to that is, is being approachable and authentic. Someone who's genuine is often approachable and authentic and, and people know the difference I, I love there's a there's a passage in first corinthians you can turn to first corinthians if you have a bible or a bible app uh, words will appear or verses will appear on the screen if you need them we're going to go to 1 Corinthians 2, 1 to 5, because Paul gives a great example of this when he's talking uh, to the Corinthian church. He's reminding them of what it was like when he first came to them. Now, the church of Corinth, uh, as a reminder, it's like Las Vegas of the first century. What happens in Corinth stays in Corinth. I'll let your imagination, well, maybe not too far, but, you know, whatever, whatever you can imagine, first, first century Corinth was like that party central. And so a church is planted there, and, and they start isolating themselves from the outside world. And, and Paul is giving them reminders of what it's like. And so in 1 Corinthians 2, 1 to 5, he's reminding them of what he was like when he first went to them, and he and he first built, started building a relationship with them. He says... but in the power of God. And I love what Paul's talking about here because this is, this is exactly, th- this is a great example of what genuine speech and a genuine demeanor comes. To give you an idea of who Paul was, Paul is once, he refers to himself often as a Pharisee of Pharisees. Pharisees were the greatest kind of Jewish religious leaders of the time. The, the first two-thirds of the Bible is called the Old Testament. Paul knew that frontwards, backwards, sideways, he knew it all. He had the authority. He was a Roman citizen as well as a leader in the Jewish world, religious leader, theologian, philosopher. He had all the knowledge, moreover the stature, to hold it over anyone in the Greco-Roman world. And what's amazing is Paul gives us a demonstration, even though he could have, he could have held the truth and his wisdom and lofty speech over them, he doesn't. He actually, as he came to them, comes to them, he embraces things like weakness and fear and plain speech. Because you know what? There is nothing more genuine than when someone comes to you and they let you know they're weak. Because everyone is weak. We all know everyone has weakness. And everyone knows that there's fears, and there's tremblings in all our lives. This is something that all humanity connects with. But it takes a genuine person, an authentic person, to come before someone in their first meetings, even though they have all the authority and all the power and all the truth, and they could hold it over them, but instead they come in weakness and in fear and trembling and in plain words instead of lofty speech. And he says this, so that you, you might not just think that I'm some wise Guy holding my fancy talk over you, all this he wants the Corinthian people to understand is Jesus he the power of God through Jesus, and so he chooses weakness, fear, trembling, and plain speech and, and so for us I, I this changes our positioning both publicly and privately because we for those of us raised in the church we we believe, and, and the Bible would indicate that we, that we have some answers, but sometimes we hold that over people. Like, we're the people in authority, we're the people with the truth, and oh, you lowly people outside the church, let me, let me invest in you my great wisdom. And maybe we don't uh, take that position, uh, you know, on purpose, but that often becomes it. We look at the outside world in a place of authority when we shouldn't. We should look at the outside world in a place of weakness and and fear and connect with people on that level. Because in reality, without Jesus, we're nothing. We only have the truth because of Jesus and the revelation of the Holy Spirit. It's nothing to do with us anyway. So we should never hold our knowledge of the Bible or our years of experience in church over someone who's new. There's another question Andy asks, are we showing respect for the views and values of people outside the church? Are we showing respect for the views and values of people outside the church? Now, I understand as soon as that question comes up, there's a fear in the church world, especially in the evangelical world, that if, if I show respect for someone uh, for their views and values, if they're from another faith position, or maybe they're agnostic or atheist, if I, if I show respect for that in any way, then somehow we've created this mindset that somehow we're, we're attaching ourselves to it and, and that we believe in it. But we need to understand there is a huge difference between respecting the views and values of someone and believing in. And I understand part of this is our first world culture. We've attached it a acceptance and belief together, even though in the English language they're different, in the full meaning they're different. But there's this understanding that we only accept people if we believe what they believe. But that's just, that's a fallacy. We can actually respect one another and disagree. Something that's almost lost in our culture. We can't even disagree with each other anymore because someone's going to get offended. We have to like accept that everyone's true. You, you can, it's okay to say, hey, that's a really interesting opinion. I, I can respect the fact that how dedicated you are at your faith. Here's a different idea. There's a vast difference between respecting someone's views and values and believing in views and values, and the evangelical church has got that really mixed up. And again, the Apostle Paul gives us great examples of how to do this. Uh, in Acts 17... Acts is the fifth book of the New Testament, so the last 30 Bible, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, four gospel accounts, and then Acts. And the book of Acts is an account uh, written by by Luke, who was a physician and a researcher, and and he wrote this this account of everything that happened after Jesus ascended to heaven, and really the, the explosion of the early church. And what's amazing is there's this account in Act 17 of Paul interacting with with philosophers, theologians from Athens. So Athens, the heart of Greece, this is a place of incredible knowledge, and um, I don't I don't think we really have a, um, an equivalent here in in first century world. Uh, but this is philosophers, theologians, mathematicians, scientists. The, Athens is a hub for all this stuff, a hub for knowledge and spirituality. And, and here's, here's how Paul approaches this group of people. He said, so it says this, Now when they had passed through, excuse me, Acts 17, starting at verse 22, not at verse 1, in case you started at verse 1 like I did. All right, verse 22. I was like, he didn't go to Babylonia. Oh, no, we're not there. Okay, so 22. So Paul, standing in the midst of the Areopagus, said, Men of Athens, I perceive that in every way you are very religious. Uh, the other word for this instead of religious would be spiritual. Okay, so these are spiritual men. Um, and so he, he's acknowledging that. I perceive that in every way you are very religious or spiritual. and everything uh skip down to verse 28 he says this for in him we live and move and have our being as even some of your own poets have said for we are indeed his offspring being then god's offspring we ought not to think that the divine being is like gold or silver or stone an image formed by the art uh, and imagination of man and then if we skip down to verse 32, it says, Now when they heard of the resurrection, so he shares the gospel a bit, and, 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 it, and it says, Now when they heard of the resurrection of the dead, some mocked, but others said, We will hear you again about this. So Paul went out from their midst, but some men joined him and believed. So here's the situation. The situation is, uh, Paul is to an unchurched audience, and he wants to tell them about Jesus, As he's walking through Athens, he's not walking through like he has ultimate authority and ignoring everything around him. He's studying. He's looking at idols made of stone or bronze or brass, and he's reading inscriptions. He is educating himself. What is the culture like here? What do they believe in? What do they know? Moreover, we find out that he's even quoting their poetry he, he knows their artists and their poets, and he's starting to see from their culture what is important to them. And he uses that to leverage, uh, leverage things that they know so that he might share the gospel with them. And this is, he's showing respect for their views and values. Does it mean he's going to worship that idol? No, that's not what it is. Does it mean he, he believes everything their poets say? No, that's not what it is. That's not the point. We find he educating himself, finding common ground, and using reason. So what would it look like if the church actually did that? If we stopped just saying, well, I believe this, everything else is wrong. What would it look like if we educated ourselves to try and find common ground and to use reason like Paul did? It's totally different. Does it take work? Absolutely. At some point, if Paul quotes their poetry... He he's had to, he, he's talking to the men of Athens and saying, as your poets say, he he's actually done some work. And this is maybe what what causes the problem is to fully respect the views and values of a now Canadian society that's becoming post-Christian. And lots of people have never been raised in the Bible, they've been raised in totally different faiths and everything. We can't be lazy anymore. We, we can't give a little story about Jonah and the whale or Noah's Ark or whatever it is and expect the world to understand who have heard that. We have to actually dig in and learn something before we start addressing our culture. And again, this comes back to that whole position of the difference between respecting and believing in. We can respect positions outside the church and other faith positions and learn about them and and we can respect their dedication to those things but like paul we want to use those things to try to show as he said this you have a statue of the invisible god let me tell you i actually know the invisible god let me tell you about him we need to leverage it too so the question comes then how are we doing like, this is the third question. What do unchurched people see? What do unchurched people hear? What do unchurched people experience? We, we needed to get a good litmus test, because over the past couple years, we've had a lot of unchurched and de-churched people come through uh, our church. And so I wanted to get some research. I wanted to know, really, how are we doing? And so I approached a bunch of people that I that I know had been here, and I said, I, you know, I'm looking for some quotes, and and it's okay. You can give us the good, the bad, and the ugly. We're not going to share any names, but we need to know as a church how we're doing. What is it like for a first-time person to walk in this building and what's it like? What do they experience? Either if they've been hurt by the church and hypocrisy and they've left and now they're maybe coming back, or if they've never been in a church and they come for the first time. What's it like? Well, again, without saying names, I'd like to just read you um, some of the quotes. I'm just going to read some quotes to you and I'll I'll let you make your own uh, determinations of how we're doing. My experience was like that of many newcomers. The people made an enormous impact on me. Genuine is the word I would use. By the way, This word genuine comes up a lot, and they had no idea that genuine was going to be one of the uh, topics that I was going to preach on. Just so you know, this isn't planned. Genuine is the word I would use to describe their behavior. Genuinely excited to meet me, genuinely interested in who I was and where I was in my life, and genuinely kind-hearted when they interacted with me. No one seemed to be acting out of obligation, and it made me feel very comfortable from the beginning. Next. Walking into Mountain View for the first time was nothing but a genuine... Can't make this up. Genuine, warm, welcoming experience. Not once did I feel judged or not welcome. I know I was timid to come. Walking into Mountain View was a breath of fresh air. I left that service feeling awesome. Welcomed and loved, which left me wanting to keep coming back. Come as you are, all are welcome. Next, my first experience was welcoming, accessible, and engaging. There were friendly faces to greet us at the door, and many people introduced themselves, giving the impression they were happy to have us there. The updated and informal decor and design normalized the religious experience, making it feel relevant and accessible to modern living a positive experience that made us want to spend more time there. I felt that I was welcomed, but it was still a bit daunting. I felt confident that the kids were in good hands because of the sign-in process. It's very nice and welcoming and safe and fun for kids. Next, warm, welcoming, non-judgment feeling that when stepping into the church. The non-judgment feeling is genuine. Again, you can't make this up genuine and hard for many churches to provide in my opinion mountain view did a great job at this next it seemed peaceful spiritually to sit in and listen praise and worship were soothing allowing me personally to connect with the holy spirit and cast my burdens on him it just felt so right a feeling of home the experience was amazing the reception was awesome I remember a greeter extending his hand to shake mine, smiling as if he knew who I was or was expecting me. At the end of the service, a lot of people stopped by to say hi and introduce themselves. The first time I ran into... The first time I ran into Mountain View was well before I walked into Mountain View Church. My neighbor... My neighbor had long been part of the Mountain View community... And I had listened to her over the years about the place of her faith in Mountain View in her life. I eventually came around to attending Mountain View Church and found the ethic of outreach, of worship. And what struck me powerfully was the power of song. The worship team beckoned me back on those days that the rest of me was kicking and screaming to stick to my rut and fling my hollowed soul into the gutter. The mindfulness of speaking and being present as if each day there will be newcomers. Hewing always to the gospel maintained the opening that kept me coming back. So, I actually really tried hard to find bad news. Some people said, honestly... I can't say one negative thing about my ex- first experience walking into Mountain View Church. Excuse me. I am so thankful to Pastor here. This is the greatest church in the Yukon Territory, period. It is my honor and privilege to serve here and to see people come in and their lives transformed because of you. Not in there. They didn't say, they didn't say, oh, the pastor was so great or he's funny or he was really emotional, which really connected with me. You know, it was the people, the people, the people over and over, whether it be a Google review or a Facebook review, it's the people, the people, the people. There's a stickiness to you that is irresistible. And so I cannot... It is, I cannot thank you enough for continuing to be at that door when people come in. Continuing to be willing to make new friends. To not stick to your Christian friends, to your Christian bubble, but to say, no, I'm only on this planet a short time, and it's worth meeting new people if maybe they'll find Jesus and they'll experience Jesus. And so thank you so, so much. I got nothing more to say, obviously. We're gonna go to singing Uh, one more time. The ushers are gonna come to take take any gifts that you might have brought. Um, anything I wanted to say from here doesn't isn 't going to come out right anyway, but thank you so much i can 't say it enough. You are an amazing church. It is my privilege it is my honor. I cannot believe the amount of good news, and that 's just a sampling there 's so much more and so keep going, keep being the church that unchurched people love to attend. Uh, keep being Christians that refuse to stick to yourselves, and be open, and learn. You are amazing. You're doing amazing. And for those of you that are first-time guests, this is probably the most awkward sermon that you've ever heard. Uh, but there, there is the testimonies. That's real life. This is what the people in this church are like. If you're new here, this is what they're like. This is who I get to pastor, and I'm so thankful.